0: Hello and welcome to From the Newsroom, the podcast with the Holland Sentinel. I'm reporter Arpan Lobo. Today we're joined, I'm joined, I should say, by managing editor Audrey Gamble. Hi, Audrey,
1: How's it going, Arpan?
0: I'm good. I'm good. You know, we've been doing this every month for a while now. And today we are back with our latest reaction pod to the latest uh, Democratic debate. The most recent one took place in Des Moines, Iowa, in the state. Of the forthcoming Iowa caucuses, so we're we're getting close. We're getting close. So I think we're going to do our usual, where we kind of walk through the debate for people who had better things to do last <laughs> night and didn't watch it. Um, Are unlike you saying us.
1: that we didn't have better things to do, Arpan? No, you're right. You're uh, totally right.
0: I, I didn't have better <laughs> things to do. But anyway, I guess I guess we'll start. And uh, this is was the smallest field of by far. You know, we started with the first debates. We had two nights. And ten candidates on stage at, uh, each night, and it was just a wild, you it know, kind so of royal much. rumble. <laughs> but last night we only had six candidates, right. and uh, it looks like this is going to be, uh, going to be the norm. Uh, of course, it'll get smaller as we go further. But what were your kind of main observations from last evening's debate?
1: Yeah, I mean, a a 20-person debate is is a totally different beast than a six-person debate. That's for sure. Or even a 10-person debate, you know, if you're just taking it, you know, one night at a time. Uh, This was also the first debate that did not have a candidate of color on the stage. Uh, So last night we had Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, uh, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Tom Steyer, and Elizabeth Warren, which meant Andrew Yang was not on the stage. Um, at this point, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, and Marianne Williamson are out. They've dropped out. I guess we're also including Bloomberg as not being on the stage? Question mark. Well,
0: the reason he's not on the stage, and Michael Bloomberg is the former mayor of uh, New York City. He's also a businessman, a billionaire. And the reason he's not qualifying for these debates is because he doesn't take any donations. Right. And yes. so um, he will not be a part of these debates. And um, it'll be interesting to see... If he can get any traction, because in order to get delegates from the Iowa caucus, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in order to get delegates, you need to have at least 15 percent of the vote to get anything at all.
1: Sure. So
0: we'll see if he can do that without even um, t- like really having a presence. Yeah, right. that, that'll that might bode well for his campaign. Yeah,
1: but. and and we'll talk about his his presence or lack thereof um, during the debate. He ran some ads on CNN, which was one of the co-hosts, and. His team had some interesting social media strategies during the debate as well. Um, but why don't we jump into, you know, some of the substance of the debate and and some of the things that they talked about. What topics really stood out to you as either successful or wildly unsuccessful to the audience last night?
0: Well, the evening started with a very long uh, uh, section on the situation with Iran and foreign policy. Uh, the debate started at 9.00. By the time they had uh, finished uh, speaking or moved on to a different topic, I looked at my uh, clock and it was 940. And I was thinking, right. wow, I can't believe they spend 40 minutes on one topic, and especially in just a two hour debate, two hours and change. It was uh, surprising. But I that definitely led to a lot of discussion. Uh, recently, there's been a lot of kind of back and forth between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden over their stances because they were both in Congress when uh, the Iraq war was being voted on. And Biden at the time was one of the major proponents of the war, and Sanders voted against it. And so that was something that Bernie was kind of going after Vice President Biden for. Um, It was an opportunity for some of the uh, lesser experienced, um, maybe not lesser experienced, but lesser uh, tenured candidates like Tom Steyer, Pete Buttigieg, and Amy Klobuchar, um, Elizabeth Warren as well. They all were not members of Congress at that time, so they had their own spins on it. So that was something that stood out for me. I
1: I also thought that it was kind of um, a missed opportunity, partially, for Biden in that very long slog of a segment on on foreign policy. You know that is is one of the places where he does excel, and it is partially because of just you know his sheer tenure um, in in government. Um, but it's also one of the reasons that he was chosen as Barack Obama's running mate in two thousand eight. Um, you know he. He has the ability to bring a certain amount of gravitas where he can say, "I've you know literally been in the room where these decisions are made. I was there for you know for bin Laden raid and and all of these things that you know the other candidates on the stage really can't shake a finger at. I don't necessarily know that he um, made that impactful of a moment out of that opportunity though because he and Bernie Sanders did get into the weeds on, you know, particular votes and and talking about the authorization for use of military force, which is important for sure. But I, I don't know that he, um, you know, made it as, as as much of a standout moment as he could have to kind of launch um, his debate performance really strongly right at the start.
0: Yes, that that's definitely something. We're in these debates, you know. Biden Biden is still among the frontrunners, of course. Although that gap has sort of Uh, Been decreased. However, these debates, he really hasn't had a strong showing at these debates yet. And maybe it's just because we're still so far out from a general election, but we'll have to see if these performances continue, if it has any impact. Another uh, issue that I thought was interesting that was discussed was trade and um, the kind of different stances each of the candidates had on a current agreement that's expected to be uh, signed and ratified very soon, the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement that will replace NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. Um, All the candidates uh, on stage, I believe with the exception of Bernie Sanders, supported it. And even Bernie uh, said himself, he goes, yes, this makes some small incremental improvements, but it doesn't do nearly enough for things like climate change and other things. So he kind of took some criticism for that.
1: Sure yeah, I, I kind of wonder a little bit about you know the the topics that that were discussed versus the setting of the debate. Uh, you know, we're we're just a few weeks out from the Iowa caucus, which if you're not familiar, a caucus is very different than a primary. In a primary, you go to your polling polling location, you um, you know fill in the circle for whichever candidate that you want to select, you you drop it in the box or you know whatever the situation is at your polling place, and then you're on your way. Um, the Iowa caucuses are run very differently, uh, com- community members throughout the state will go to churches and schools and and you know city buildings kind of like you would for a polling location. But you have to stay there and um, communicate with other members of your community and try to sway them into your corner of the room uh, for, for whichever candidate you're there. There are caucus leaders with within um, campaigns that will, you know, try to be as informed as they can about their particular candidates' policies and, and, you know, try to sway other people in the room. And it's very much so, you know, an hours-long kind of in-person debate among other members of your community, which is, frankly, quite fascinating to watch. (laughs) But it's very different, and it's very um, kind of community-level based. So some of the times in the debate where... um, you know, c- candidates started talking about very specific components of policies, or or I kind of felt this, especially when they started talking about nuances in the, in their healthcare um, plans. I sort of wondered if these sorts of, of conversations at this stage is what will best serve caucus goers on February third, um, and and what the things that they will remember while they're in that room, you know, trying to decide what what sign to stand under. I'm not really sure that you know anything other than the big. Pick- picture, talking points, and and sort of broader stances are what people are going to bring into those rooms um, the night of the caucus to to try to sway each other, you know, to join their their group.
0: Right. Uh, I think that one kind of missed opportunity from the debate was the discussion, a broader discussion of climate change. Um, Iowa is a very large agricultural state, very large corn producer, and... um, outside of a few tangents there wasn't enough opportunity maybe to uh, I think, really hit on that um, I, I, there was a good question I thought of what would you do for the farmers and factories that are going to be lost sure. uh, to climate change and I thought that brought up a substantive d- discussion um, but at the same time I think that the big foreign policy things that's for the national audience and it's difficult you know that, that debate was aired on CNN and it, you can't be super focused on just one part of the country. It needs to be a broad thing. But I do th- I do agree with you that that was kind of a missed opportunity.
1: Sure. Um, so one of the the kind of spiciest moments of the debate by far, our pen is rolling his eyes. So all of you know, <laughs> uh, was this exchange kind of facilitated by the moderators, which um, were the Des Moines Register and CNN talking about um, a meeting between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders that happened In 2018, Um, Arpan, do you kind of want to walk through your your thoughts and feels about what was said between the two candidates last night?
0: Sure. Uh, So, for some background, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders met in 2018 to discuss the upcoming presidential election, and both of them decided they were going to run. And according to the Warren campaign, and Warren has came out and uh, said this, uh, Warren said she was going to run, and then Bernie said. I don't believe a woman could win the president uh, presidency. Excuse me. Bernie has denied saying this. He said that uh, President Trump would weaponize anything he could, and that he is a sexist. So he might make some comments there, but he has vehemently denied uh, saying that a woman couldn't win the presidency. And he did so again last night when he was asked.
1: Whereas the Warren campaign has doubled down and said yes, he did say that, and you could, you could kind of see. Um, you know Warren get visibly upset when he denied saying it during the debate last night.
0: Yes, and uh, this is this is the same Bernie Sanders who who lost the nomination to Hillary Clinton in 2016, and who also and he brought it up last night. He he told Elizabeth Warren to run in 2016. Um, so it's it's a, it's kind of like a mixed signals if if he was telling her two years later, oh you can't win because you're a woman. Anyway, he denied uh, saying that last night. And he brought up the point, he said Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by 3 million votes, um, and that I would support any of these candidates if they they get on stage. But um, he said that he never told Elizabeth Warren that she couldn't win because she was a woman. And this led to a very uncomfortable kind of moment where the moderator, Abby Phillip, asks Senator Sanders, she goes, so Senator Sanders, just to confirm, you never said that a woman couldn't win the presidency. And then he said, that's correct. And then she immediately goes, Senator Warren, what did you feel when Senator Sanders said a woman couldn't win the presidency? And it was, you know, yeah, you know Ber- was Bernie kind of like smirked and shook his head. And Elizabeth Warren said she was disappointed. But and she, she, she used the opportunity to say... A kind of tout her own electability sure she made this comment about oh the women on the stage haven't lost any elections and that's true she when she was elected to senate and i believe 2012 that was her first um senate race so it's not like she she's lost it before not obviously she won re-election one time but it, it, it was very very uncomfortable especially you know personally for me I, I like to use these debates as opportunities to see where the candidates stand on uh pressing matters. And I'm not saying gender equity is a pressing matter, too. I don't think that's, you know, something that can be dismissed. But for a very he said, she said story, I I think wasting time during a two hour debate on that a few weeks out from the first caucus isn't productive.
1: Yeah, I mean, electability of of the candidates is a huge issue, especially as we start moving into um, those months where we do get, you know, real feedback from from primary voters. And who they really think, um, you know, the the name of the game for the Democratic Party is whoever has the best shot at beating Donald Trump. Right. Um, so so that's a real question. They definitely could have phrased the questions differently, though, so that it wasn't kind of as as catty as it ended up showing.
0: Right. And it. it- That exchange in particular just kind of made it seem like, oh, we're not going to take Bernie's account of this at all. And it was it was a CNN reporter who broke the story. And uh, if you if you read the story, the sources are from Warren's campaign. So it's very, you know, he said, she said. It kind of
1: felt like, you know, and, and I've definitely done this as a journalist before of, you know, walking into an interview with a list of questions that I would like to ask. But you always sort of adapt that list as you get the responses from whoever you're interviewing, um, and it kind of felt like, well, that was the next question on their list, and they weren't changing the the verbiage of it to, you know, accommodate the answer from from Senator Sanders. They could have said, well, you know senator warren how would you respond to to that from, from bernie instead of making it this very uncomfortable moment for for everyone on the stage and then after the debate um you know everyone kind of like mills around with their families and and does the whole handshake thing situation and there was this very awkward footage of of um you know senator warren and sanders kind of approaching each other on the stage um and and Bernie has his hand extended for a handshake and Warren like straight up denies the handshake Um, and Tom Steyer is very uncomfortable just stuck in the middle
0: Tom Steyer is a billionaire and honestly I never thought I'd say this but I felt bad for Tom Steyer (laughs) in that moment
1: yeah, it was. Um, yeah, to be a fly on the wall for that for that brief yeah. conversation for sure.
0: And they, they, they have, CNN asked Tom Steyer, "Oh, what did they say?" And he goes, "I actually couldn't hear anything." Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> which I, I don't know if know, I buy that, but yeah,
0: um, I, I respect it, Tom. I do. <laughs>
1: sure. Um, I did think though that that Warren's response of saying, "Well, you know, Senator Klobuchar and I are the only ones who have never lost a debate." I mean, or I'm sorry, lost an election. Um, you know, her her attempt to pivot it to, well, you know, women are, in fact, electable. And, and at another point in the debate, um, Senator Klobuchar actually had a shout out to Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer for being a female Democrat that beat a Republican.
0: Right. She, I'm I'm 98 percent sure she called her Gretchen Oh, did she really? And <laughs> then she said there's also another woman I'm very proud to know. Um, and then she forgot her name. So that was not one of Amy Klobuchar's finer moments, but.
1: But it was nice to have a Michigan shout-out. Yeah, sure. yeah, it yeah. was
0: definitely cool um, for for the state to get recognized like that during a national debate. Um, while we're on the kind of uh, topic of the, the moderators and the questions last night, I wanted to bring up a few points about – how some more of the questions were framed um this was a democratic debate uh this wasn't you know it'd be one thing if one of these candidates were debating president trump but they're not yet they haven't gotten that far and to me it felt like the okay these debates should be for democ for democrats trying to decide who they're going to support for who they want to go up against president trump in november but it really felt like to me that this was kind of framed some of these questions were framed with a very you know almost negative connotation for example uh one of the democrat democratic platforms is expanding uh healthcare and the candidates differ on how they want to do that joe biden wants to add more to obamacare p Buttigieg wants to do medicare for all who want it and bernie sanders wants to do medicare for all but it was very odd in the the kind of phrasing of the question it goes oh uh they i believe they asked joe biden the question they go uh vice president biden why should bernie sanders how should bernie sanders tell the country how he's going to pay for his health care plan and to me that kind of stood out for me i I go wait you know we haven't asked a single question about how we're going to pay for the troops that uh we we stationed in the middle east and that was something that came up earlier there was a question about child care and people to judge said he wanted to expand child care for children ages zero through four nobody asked him how he's going to pay for that but when it comes to healthcare, you know, that all of a sudden becomes something that's, oh, it's expensive. It's expensive. We can't pay for it. And obviously everything costs money. There's, you know, even if, you know, free healthcare coverage that you, you need to raise tax revenue to pay for that. And Bernie Sanders said how oh, he would do it. He'd raise a wealth tax. But it just seemed to me like that question seemed a little disingenuous where it hadn't been brought up for anything else. Um, there was also the really odd question. I was talking to you about this beforehand. But to me it was. The moderator said oh we're in des moines and this is an insurance town yeah
1: i don't know what that means what
0: what would you say to the uh members of the insurance industry uh who would be affected by your healthcare plan and it was a very bizarre question i go this is very very niche like you know we we just talked about how they needed to be like hyper focused for a national audience that was a super like uh super focused question i was like whoa that's Like me sitting at home watching that, I was like, wait, this isn't (laughs) something. And Bernie said, oh, we'd provide job training and, you know, subsidies for these people so they could, you know, get back on their. So he at least was prepared for it. But it was just something. I'm like, why is that being asked so close to the election? You know, it, yeah. it just didn't strike me well.
1: There, there were a couple of questions where I just kind of went like, mm, that feels like it's sort of a gotcha question. Um, the the moderators asked a, a couple of the candidates about um, the the upcoming impeachment trial in in the Senate, especially because three of the six people on the stage um, would have to. They, you know, they've been calling it kind of mandatory jury duty. I mean, all. all Spoiler: All jury duty is mandatory. Mandatory. Please don't skip out on it. Um, but you know they that they will have to be pulled off of the campaign trail to go to the Senate to to hear you know these these proceedings and whether that was, you know, going to impede their chances kind of in the state. And and it just sort of felt like, I mean, that's their jobs. <laughs> um, you know, to be a senator is, is the job for, for Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and A.B. And Klobuchar. And all of them kind of handled it fairly well and saying, well, you know, of course I'm going to, to be there for everything. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, the, it's the constitutional you know, mandate of, of the position that I'm in. Um, but it did kind of seem like sort of a, a gotcha question from the moderators to, to phrase it in the manner that they did.
0: Yeah, and I thought that came up a couple different times too. you know, I, I there, for the people who watched it um, on CNN, there were the little graphics at the bottom that showed what the question was, and it, the way that they were just phrased, it just seemed off, like, I'll read three, sure. that I have right in front of me, and I think these were the ones that stood out. Um, so this question, Warren supports a new trade deal with Mexico and Canada. Why is Sanders' opposition to it wrong? And then, okay, so you're framing one candidate's position as wrong to begin with. Here's another one. Sanders' proposals would double federal spending over a decade. How will he avoid bankrupting the country? Spoiler alert, the country is already bankrupt. We have a multi-trillion dollar deficit. Again, it's just one candidate, you know, one question. Finally, does Sanders owe voters an explanation of how much his health care plan will cost them and the country? So it's one thing to say, oh, how will we pay for this, you know, with tax revenue? But for to come out and say, oh, how much will it cost people personally? Where if you if you're Bernie, you've been saying, oh, this is, you know, to save money. This is to, you know, eliminate health care costs. It just seemed very kind of. Disingenuous uh, from my end.
1: Yeah, I, I think that um you know the the phrasing of things and and the formatting can can often kind of force a, a candidate to either accept or reject the premise of the question uh, rather than you know spending that valuable time on on their you know countdown clock of seconds to answer um actually getting into um you know their their policy and and what would help connect them to potential voters i wanted to talk a little bit about the closing statements from some of the candidates uh you know we are kind of on the eve of of that moment where where people tell the nation for the first time what regular human people (laughs) think of 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 these candidates at this point and um Some candidates I thought had very compelling closing statements to to kind of head them into the caucus. But um, I wonder what your thoughts were on on who did particularly well to kind of close out the night.
0: Well, when I view these things, sometimes these things stand out to me, but that doesn't necessarily, they they kind of like ran over well, Sure, but I did think Pete Buttigieg's, uh, you know, we, we mentioned Elizabeth Warren talking about her electability. I thought Pete Buttigieg spent his closing statement talking about his electability and he said, you know, we have one shot to make sure that, you know, President Trump doesn't get reelected. And I think I'm the best candidate to do that. Um, and so that kind of stood out to me as like, okay, you know, Pete Buttigieg has been talking about um, how his kind of lack of experience isn't, you know, as big of a hindrance as other candidates have made it seem. And so it was very interesting to me to, for him to play on that kind of intentionally to say, you know, I'm the guy that can get this done.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that um, part of his closing statement that stood out the most to me was when he started talking about um, Donald Trump's hold over Christians um, in the Republican Party. And an and evangelical base is um, a key component of the GOP's kind of stronghold. And in um, uh, Pete Buttigieg's closing argument, he said, um, you know, I, I kind of reject that. Um, you know, Christians have to to have this sort of monolithic, singular, you know, view. And um, you know, he said God does not belong to one political party. Um, and I think that you know that wasn't really something. You know, faith wasn't really something that came up in in I really any of the Democratic debates so far. Um, but he he was trying very hard to, you know, push that he can be this, this unifying figure and could potentially cross over to, you know, those all important independents um, in the states where there are a lot of kind of purple voters up for grabs.
0: Right, right. And it was definitely him. Pete Buttigieg has tried to carve out this space as a moderate sort of centrist. Sure. I think that was definitely a, a play at that.
1: Um, what did you think about um, Vice President Biden's closing statement?
0: Well, I thought, you know, Biden in general, uh, his evening was more more of the same from him where he touts his experience. In terms of his closing statement, I, I have to be honest for you, I, nothing stands out for me. You know, it was more of the same from him. Yeah. I, I'm not remembering anything in particular that he said that felt like anything new.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really think that, um, you know, he's he's looking to rock the boat at this point in time. Um, I think that, you know, he has been fairly steady and weathered quite a few storms in the polls so far. Um, You know, kind of flubs and gaffes don't seem to shake his numbers that much. So, you know, kind of that that tried and true policy and and also just sort of, um, you know, moral challenge that that Biden is saying that the country is is Facing, um, And he continued to say, you know, which has kind of been his line all along, that the country can retro- recover from four years of a Donald Trump presidency, but not necessarily aid. And this is kind of, you know, the, the shot that the Democrats have. Um, he did get a lot of applause for a line um, about um, saying character is on the ballot this time and, and the character of the country is on the the ballot, which he says at pretty much every, you know, campaign stop that he makes. But um, I did notice that it, it got quite a, a strong reaction from the crowd in, in the debate hall.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, we talk about polls, it, the way these polls work for people that don't know is that it's mostly over the phone. It's mostly over landline phones. And so it's generally going out to an older audience. You know, it's, it's not something where I think as we get more more and more people off of landlines, we, we might not we might be seeing those polls might not be a true reflection of the electorate. And I think it's a good thing that we're getting so close to finally, like, actual caucuses to where, like, okay, we don't have to go off polls anymore because, like, I, you know, it, it's very...
1: They have a limited purpose. It's very pedantic, yes. <laughs> you know.
0: And in 2016, should have been the the year where everybody learned: okay, we shouldn't place such an importance on polls, because every single poll, um, every single mainstream poll, said that Hil- Hillary Clinton was going to win in a rather, you know, easy fashion. That obviously wasn't the case, and you know, a lot of people were shocked because they relied on polls and pollsters. So, I'm looking forward to you know having some tangible evidence in in a few weeks you know right now i think you know personally i i see four candidates as kind of carving themselves out the leader that's biden buddha judge warren and sanders but who knows maybe a mike bloomberg might do really well in the iowa caucus and that'll be kind of a surprise but it, it could happen we just have to see what happens
1: do you feel that Anyone's performance in the debate really changed, you know, their standing going into the, the caucus night? Or do you feel it was kind of, you know, status quo going in and status quo going out?
0: Uh, for the most part, I think Elizabeth Warren had a good night just because she was able to deal with the, the kind of difficult... Not so much substantive questions, but the questions on oh, you know, the 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 whole quote unquote beef with sure. Bernie. I thought she handled that well, you know, and didn't do it in a derogatory uh, derogatory manner to where it's kind of going to, you know, people. She she has an appeal to people who maybe want to embrace a lot of these progressive policies that a candidate like Bernie Sanders embraces, but she also has her ties into a more center leaning. Uh, part of the Democrat par- Democratic Party. Other than that, no, I don't think so, you know. I, I think I made a comment at the last time we podcast about Amy Klobuchar had a really good night at the other debate. But, she did. But her polls, are the same. Like, one a good poll might have her at 8%, a bad poll might have her at 3%, you know it's something where, like I said, the people who who, you know, go into these polls, who do these polls, they might have their, I don't know if their mindsets are necessarily framed by this debate. Like I said, we'll have to, you know, we won't podcast on the debates again until after the caucuses. So I think right. that'll be a... Good sign to see where the kind of um, primary stands.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it'll be interesting. um, You know, the the eighth debate will be February 7th in New Hampshire as we, you know, move on to the New Hampshire primary. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how those debate performances change once there's substantial numbers from real voters, you know, behind these candidates' performances.
0: I I definitely agree.
1: Sounds like a plan. Well, we'll talk about it. On February 8th.
0: <laughs> well, one last thing before we go, and we kind of alluded to this earlier. Uh,
1: oh, my gosh. Yes, le- I totally forgot. Like uh, like,
0: like we mentioned, Mike Bloomberg was not on stage last night, but that doesn't mean he wasn't, you know, wilding out on the Twitter timeline. Um, so at Mike 2020, Team Bloomberg on Twitter decided to kind of just go crazy um, on Twitter. And, you know, this is designed to draw attention and get like, you know... Uh, news media outlets to write articles about mike bloomberg's zany twitter but you know it was some of these were just like ridiculous you know yeah
1: i'm not really sure kind of what the 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 idea was behind this (laughs) strategy um but the yeah the the mike 2020 um twitter team were certainly having quite a bit of fun during the debate and um you know their their candidate wasn't able to be on the stage so instead there were tweets like um mike's house is designed to look exactly like the interior of the millennium falcon hashtag bloomberg facts hashtag dumb debate um they also had several polls up about which pitbull song um bloomberg should enter into a room to instead of hail to the chief i
0: voted for timber
1: oh hot take i like it all right um you know there were also tweets about um you know Instead of an inaugural address, he would sing Shallow with Lady Gaga, um, you know, asking what body part people should get Bloomberg 2020 tattoos on. I mean, it was kind of all over the place. I It certainly generated talk about it i guess um it, i'm just not sure how well those tweets played into you know bloom bloomberg is trying to to say that he's you know the adult in the room and all of this and i i'm just not sure how well that translates when you're tweeting about you know pitbull songs and face tattoos it
0: seemed like it was a real like oh how do you do fellow kids <laughs> moment like i don't know like i I think I'm the target audience for those
1: tweets. Okay, Because, right.
0: like, if you're going for, like, you know, like, the Gen Z uh, kids, a lot of those people aren't going to be 18 come November. Sure, so, yeah, true. maybe you get, like, the the oldest portion of Gen Z. But, like, you know, we're, like, the youngest end of, like, the millennial generation. And I think those were targeted at us. But, like, at the same time, I just felt, like, uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm like, I, it was dude, get out of here. Like, man, like, yeah. if this is what you're going to do, like... I get it. It's fun. It's fun to, you know, make jokes sometimes. But, you know, this is But also, is like, it's a
1: presidential you can't, campaign. You can't be
0: campaigning about, like you said, <laughs> I'm the adult in the room. And then you're, like, Twitter is tweeting out a picture of a meatball with your face superimposed right. over it. Be like, which meatball looks like Mike, you know?
1: Oh, gracious. It's, it's
0: not necessarily cute or charming. It's just kind of, like, cringeworthy. pandering and cring- yeah. cringeworthy. There's, there's a fine line, I think, you know, especially, like, in our modern times, the, the internet is a very strange place, but... <laughs> I can say with a fair amount of confidence that, Mike, this ain't it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I was watching on CNN, and um, after the debate, when they have kind of all the talking heads discussing everything that just happened— Um, Every single commercial break, um, now I was watching online, so you kind of get that thing where it's the same commercial over and over sort of deal. Um, But it was a Bloomberg commercial, and it was him explaining, you know, why he wasn't on the stage that night, um, which, you know, obviously they they poured money into. Um, But I just thought it was kind of interesting to see those ads that were, you know, very professional, you know, Mike Bloomberg behind a lectern and whatever, and then seeing that kind of contrasted with Twitter polls and meatballs. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Team Mike tweeted about Mike handing out Vicks Vapor Rub on the New York City subway. And I'm just like,
1: it was a lot. What are we
0: doing here, fam? Like, come on. There's (laughs) got to be more productive ways to, like, try to engage with people online. Anyway, I I think, you know, I think that's only the start. I think 2020 will just get weirder as we get further. It's going to be
1: wild, guys.
0: (laughs) Buckle up, folks. Well, anyway, uh, I think that'll wrap us up. Like you said, February 7th.
1: February 7th in New Hampshire is the next debate. New Hampshire,
0: debate. okay. So we will podcast to you after that. Hopefully, you know, Mike Bloomberg won't terrorize our Twitter timelines any further. <laughs> anyway, for managing editor Audrey Gamble, I'm reporter Arpan Lobo, and this has been another edition of From the Newsroom with the Holland Sentinel.